Okay, great. Well done, everyone. Um, right, we've had an enormous flurry of questions. So um, just to say, uh, um, uh, for, forgive us if we don't get through all of them, we will really try to, and some of them I might bunch together because some of them will be quite similar. Um, if you feel it, your question is kind of semi-been answered but not the way you want to, just stick up your hand and, and I can give you the mic and you can maybe um, return to what's been said from the panel. And um, also, um, I, I'll break away from a few questions and see if you have anything else that you have to ask on the back of what's been said. I just want to introduce the panel. Um, um, We have uh, Catherine Gibb. Um, She is a member here at at Chalmers, and she's a school teacher um, in Pennycook. Brilliant. Thank you, Catherine. Um, And we have Robin, who is our minister at Robin Sidsurf, and um, he's a normal man. And... uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Don't believe me. And uh, we have Andy, who, who you met. Andy's on the staff team here. Um, um, and just to say, and this is really important, um, the, the, these are normal people in normal works of normal life who have done normal things. They haven't studied this stuff extensively. This is from, um, um, these questions come from their, their knowledge of, of the Bible, which is the knowledge that anyone can have of the Bible, and also from their, their experience of being around real people in real life. Uh, they're just normal people. you just got to believe me. Um, you know, so, so don't see this as being um, three PhD people are, are answering a philosophical question. This is three normal people asking normal normal questions. Um, so so I, I hope that helps, and that's, that's, an important, that's an important point to make. Okay, let, let's start off. I'm going to start off with a question that came in quite early, and a few of them have been around this, um, and, and so I've sort of lumped a few together in a very simple question. Um, why um, does God allow good people to suffer? Even people who really understand him and know him, why does God allow good people to suffer? And on the back of that, there, there's more questions um, asking, um, is this a test? Are we being tested as good people by suffering? So feel free to take that in two parts, well, Andy. Well, first, okay, uh, by the way, I'm normal, just in case you didn't, <laughs> you just didn't get that there from Sam. Um, well, okay, the first part, the answer is we don't know, okay? Um, now, the entire book of Job in the Bible is a poem in which they're trying to wrestle with this idea of why does God allow good people to suffer? That's what the book's about. Job's innocent, he suffers. We kind of get the big picture. We see what God was doing and how he was using that. Job doesn't see. Uh, at the end, Job doesn't find out. He never finds out. But his friends, what the book is condemning is the people who do try and answer that why question. Uh, and he's got these three pals who are kind of these religious scholars and philosophers. And they're saying to Job, no, Job, there's definitely a reason. You must have done something because you're a good guy. You must have done something. You must have sinned or something like that um, for this to happen. And they try and take God down to their level and tame him and compartmentalize him into their kind of idea of how God should behave. And at the end of the book, God doesn't tell Job why he suffers. He tells Job who he is. Um, And Job, that's enough for Job when he gets that kind of great picture of who God is. And it's quite funny, actually. He turns to the three friends and he says, you guys better hope that Job prays for you um, because what you've said about me is wrong and twisted. Uh, And it is very interesting, um, that kind of way of dealing with this issue. It's a, again, it's a, it's a profoundly realistic book, but the answer might be frustrating. The answer is we don't know. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry. The, the second thing, can God use suffering for a test? Yes, he can. Um, is that why? 
you're going through hard times? Don't know. Um, the, the, there's a bit in 1 Peter where he talks about, uh, and, and Peter definitely was reading Job when he wrote his letter. He writes to suffering churches, and he says that the, their suffering um, is like gold being passed through fire, like the fire, the pain that they're experiencing is refining their faith and making it real and genuine because they're still holding on to Christ despite what they're experiencing. So it's kind of, it is like a, a test there. But to say that about all forms of suffering and, and what, it's, it's very complex and there's different reasons for suffering. Um, it's such a, a multifaceted subject. And so to try, the book of Job, I think it's clear, to try and answer that why question does not make you wise. It makes you a fool because you are not God. And there are things that, I mean, sometimes there's obvious reasons why people are suffering. Sometimes it's because of stuff they've done themselves. Um, And it's a kind of fallout from that. I mean, it's just such a broad thing. You can't give a pat answer. Um, I think that's right. It's an honest answer. And it's a real honest answer given in real situations very often. I think all I would say in in, in addition to that is that Andy's said, response to the question in his talk is that God is sovereign. God's sovereignty means that the only, I think there is an answer, that there, there is, it's not that there's no answer in God's mind. There's a purpose in God's mind. It's very hard to even say that because you think, well, how can there be purpose in that? But if God is sovereign, there is. The other thing to say, and Andy brought this out really strongly in the talk, the Bible doesn't answer the question why, but it doesn't tell you not to ask the question why. And that's a very interesting thing. Um, why is this happening? Why is this happening? The Bible is full of that. And it's expressing that to a God with whom Christians have a real relationship. Um, and, and it's a, a pouring out of your heart. And in so doing, there's a trust that comes from doing that. But I think that it's a very common question. People will say why, and it's always expressed in, in, in real situations. And uh, my experience as a minister being with Christians who are suffering a lot is that there, there is I see it again and again people, people accepting that people finding peace in accepting that God cares but there is no answer to that question that might seem a strange thing to say but you see it again and again and again in real people and Sam's point is really powerful at the beginning um, we're all normal, he isn't uh, his point about saying Christians are normal is that they are. In, they're not different from other people in that they bring to their life an understanding of stuff that's not escapism. It's very real and it doesn't take the issues away. Um, it brings a steadiness and, and, and a courage almost in the face of suffering, but no slick answers. Helpful. Um, moving on a little bit from there, we're going to come back in a second to see if you want to, to respond for, to this, but, but just getting a little bit further into the talk, um, Andy, you were talking about uh, Jesus experienced suffering and, and going through what... Um, uh, uh, what he'd established in creation in that he, 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 he took his own medicine, to, to quote um, Dorothy Sayers. Um, just a few questions on that in terms of um, Jesus' suffering. Um, we'll ask two, and I've sort of clumped a few again together. The, the first one is this. Um, um, Robin, maybe you can um, have a go at this one, if I can work this phone. Um, 
How do we understand Jesus' suffering in comparison to ours? Three days spent in hell, effectively, so we don't have an eternity of it. How does this equate with a human, for example, who suffers in agony for their entire lifespan? Um, How can we agree to follow in blind faith? Also, this is the second part of this question. How can we follow in blind faith when God doesn't show us his presence in the midst of our incredible suffering. So so maybe the first bit, um, Jesus only suffered for three days um, in, in hell. Um, that's the question here. Um, uh, con- compared to our suffering in life, how is that fair? And how does that equate to that? Yeah, so the question I think behind it is, is Jesus' death on the cross and the period between his death and his resurrection. I think uh, let's just narrow it down even more that to Jesus' suffering while he was on the cross... We can think of his suffering uh, as physical, and the cross is a horrific way to die. Um, You can read about him being asphyxiated and his legs being broken, all sorts of horrible stuff. But the suffering Jesus endures on the cross as he dies is, is a very different order of suffering, far greater than all the suffering and any suffering we might experience in this life. He suffers the judgment of God, the wrath of God for sin. And Andy alluded to Jesus' anticipation of this when he cried, when he asked God if this suffering, this wrath could be taken from him. So what Jesus experienced when he died was the judgment of God, was the wrath of God, which is enormous suffering compared to the physical pain that he endured. And no suffering that any of us can experience in this life can equate to that. Just one more thing to say on that, that the suffering Jesus experienced for people who trust in him for their salvation is what all of humanity will experience if they say no to his offer of salvation. So we may never experience anything like he suffered in this life, but beyond this life we will if we don't acknowledge him as saviour. That's a bit of a go at the question. Catherine, maybe you can have part two, because I don't know the answer to part two. What was part two, Sam? So um, how can we agree to follow in blind faith when God chooses not to show us his presence in the middle of intense suffering, even when we cry out to him? Why is there silence, I suppose, rather than activity there um, experienced in the time of suffering, even if all that is true? Well, there is, there is not silence in the sense that there is, there is a very powerful steadiness or security or confidence in the face of the worst suffering. And I see it in people all of the time. It's not escapism. It is peace, if you like, or knowledge. Or, and, and I guess very powerfully, too, that Jesus himself, God isn't absent. We see it in Christ and his suffering. I think what's maybe behind the question, though, is that the Christianity of the Bible is not about Christians crying out to God and suddenly there being a sort of supernatural manifestation of God with them. That's not true. But there is a profound sense of steadiness or peace or confidence in God, even right up at the end of life in the shadow of death. It's a very strong and powerful thing to see. Sorry, I answered it for you. <laughs> I just say as well, you know, 
he's next. It's, it's actually it's a good question because it's the question they ask in the Psalms, isn't it? Yeah. Why are you far yeah. from me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. they feel that God's presence is far from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the truth is, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, God's presence is always with us um, by his Holy Spirit. Yeah. So we are God's temple. That's what we're looking at this morning in church, actually. Um, so God is always with me, always, um, through whatever I may be facing. Now, I won't always feel that, but I can't use my feelings as a basis for what's true. Um, and this is why I love the Bible, because this, for me as a Christian, this is the, my basis for what's true. And so for many Christians who are in that situation, for the psalmists, when they cry that out, just read a psalm, the person asked that question. Read Psalm 13 or Psalm 42, and look at how they deal with this. What they do is they don't, they, they say, right, this is what I'm feeling. And then they go, okay, but this is what I know is true. And they remind themselves of what they know. And we read in the Bible, remind ourselves of what's true. And it's not that the pain gets removed. It's that it gets given a sense of perspective. And I'm able to judge that actually what I'm feeling is not, not true. God is not far from me. And I know that that's the case, even though that's what I feel like he is right now. And they keep crying. We keep crying. Um, but there won't be a, a warm, fuzzy feeling or anything like that. It's just, it's just what's written here that's true. That's really helpful. Because is it anything you want to add to that? No, I was just going to say yeah. in terms of that, God may feel as if he is far away. He's not, mm. but often it can be how yeah. we are feeling. Yeah. And as Andy says, what we need to do is we can go to the Bible, and that is where we get something. That life, it is tough, and there are hard things going on, and we can't sit up here and say that we've got all the answers. Yeah. However, God gives us promises in his word, and mm-hmm. especially in the Psalms, the likes of Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength. So when we're really feeling just so wobbly and totally unable to mm-hmm. do anything, we find in the Bible the promises that are there for us and the hope that we can have in the midst of really difficult circumstances. If I got yeah. run over tonight on the way home, taken to a I'm the kind of person who'd be, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't take that on the chin. <laughs> I mean, I'd be an anxious person, deeply anxious about all these things. But if I lay there and I was told I was going to die, what I would hold fast to is that I will live for eternity. I'll be resurrected. How do I know? Because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And if that fact, if that objective truth brings me comfort and steadiness that would enable me to turn to a doctor and say, look, I'm all right if I die then maybe there's something subjective that I have, but it's confidence in your head based on the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and so we will live. At the end of the day, Christianity, it might not answer the question, why in relation to suffering, but it answers the ultimate question, is there an answer to the end of suffering, which is death, which is resurrection and life? Mm -hmm. And it's factually based on his his resurrection. And that's a very powerful thing. Yeah, that, that's really great. Um, I, I have one more question, again, tied up with a few others. And, and I'm going to ask this, and then I'm going to open open up the floor. Um, still on this point in terms of Jesus Christ suffering for us, um, a few people have been saying, 
does Jesus or God really identify with our suffering, even though Jesus went through what he went through? Because they are omnipotent and they understand everything. And so it's kind of like a false suffering. It's almost as if it's if it's just an action to show identification rather than to really feel what is going on because they know what is going on. Jesus knows what is going to happen. He knows how it's going to feel like because he's God. And so it's not like we suffer because we don't know what it feels like and we're not omnipotent. So is there automatically a disconnection there? It's in fact a disingenuous suffering. What would you say to that, Andy? No, the, the Bible, Jesus is fully, man, fully God, but he's also fully man. So Jesus knew what he had to do. He knew what the cross was about. But when the night before his crucifixion, he felt it much in a much more tangible and real way because he had to develop and grow in knowledge like we do. So he was a man. He played the man, as Dorothy Sayers said. Um, he experienced what we experienced. And just the, there's something almost about that that makes his suffering more extreme rather than less because he's God uh, and he knows all things. Um, and, uh, you know, what is it that takes the Son of God who has existed for all eternity what horror would it have to be to take him and to throw him to the ground in tears and sweat and anguish to which he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I mean, it must be something uh, overwhelming. I can't get my head around just how extreme that pain would be. Um, so no, and, and he, he grew up, Jesus, like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a complex thing, fully man, fully God, but you know, he had to learn to walk he was fully God. He had to learn to read and to write. He was taught, but he was fully God. But part of being a man, you know, he, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself um, and became a man. That, that's what he did. Um, so, And we know we're going to suffer. So what, the average age of people in this room, what is it? 40? Yeah. 30? I don't know. 40. Say it's 40. Say we live to 80. What's ahead in the next 40 years? Suffering. Good times, happy times, suffering. And of course, the, the mortality rate still runs at 100%. So death is going to come. So we know what's ahead of us. And we have time in our lives to consider how we will be, what we will say, what we will do when that time comes, as it must, for, for us all and and, and I think that Jesus continually says in the Bible to us, look, don't deny suffering in life. I mean, that's the world we live in is the denial of that, certainly the denial of death. Face it now and consider, is there an answer to death? Because we know it's going to come. It's not hidden from us, all of us. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. We know what Jesus knows. We're going to suffer. Jesus knew he's going to suffer. He's going to suffer more. Than, than we did. Jesus knew there was going to be glory in eternity. We know that too as Christians because of his resurrection. It doesn't make suffering easy, um, it, but we know we know the things that he knows. Um, That's really helpful. Uh, that's great. I, I'm going to throw it open to you guys. Um, is there anything that you're wanting to say that's um, burning? Anything that you want to come back on? Maybe you've asked one of those questions and you're not sure about the answer. Um, don't worry if you don't want to. That's fine. Excellent. That we, you're saying that we know that we're going to suffer just as he knew he was going to suffer, but he knew that his suffering was going to save humanity. If I'm suffering today, I'm not saving anybody. 
So maybe it's easier to bear the burden knowing that you're making that massive change rather than just for no reason because you're not getting the answer. I think that's a, that's a great yeah. analysis of the question. I think what I'd say in response to that is my suffering is not analogous to Jesus in every way. But I know that my suffering will not save humanity, but I know that my suffering will lead to my salvation. I will be saved. So death will come and I'll be resurrected and live with Jesus Christ. But it is different. I think you're right. Although, although, tomorrow, for example, as is not unusual, I'll conduct a funeral of a lady who has died as a Christian. And I will speak of her faith to the people who are there. And I would have confidence that as they think on their mortality and think on her faith, even in a bleak situation like tomorrow, there will be purpose in explaining that when people face death. And I would pray and trust and hope that people would find what she had. So in that sense, there is a purpose in our suffering that it continues. It's a very powerful thing when you see people in life suffering. We might sort of say stoically, but suffering with an acceptance, with a dignity, and with a confidence that points to Jesus. So I think in some ways your, your, answer, your analysis is right. Although we do experience what he experienced in terms of purpose, but you're right in that his suffering saved humanity. And when I suffer, I'm the, I'm the fruit of that in the sense of my, my salvation. Did that answer what you asked? Yeah, I think so. I guess I just imagined that yeah, yeah. if I was suffering and knowing that I was going to save humanity, I'd be much more likely to be able to bear the burden than if I was just saving myself. Yeah, so like you know, people maybe have given their lives in conflict, yeah. feeling that they're doing something that is purposeful. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. To, to a degree. I mean, Jesus didn't feel that, though. Like, he didn't. He felt, he, he actually asked, is there any other way I can do this? Mm-hmm. You know, because it was horrible. So, I get, we, yeah, we've got to be careful that the, the primary purpose of his suffering was not to identify with us, but was to save us. Though from that we can see that here is a God who does identify with us. Um, but if, if I suffer because someone close to me dies, and that's painful, I know if they're a Christian where they're going, and I know the purpose. And I know that that's where they're going to be. It doesn't make the suffering easier. Uh, it still hurts. And, and again, that's what you see with Jesus, with his friend Lazarus. Jesus is about to raise him from the grave, but he, he approaches his tomb with tears and, and anger and frustration at death and, and hurt. Um, and so, so yeah, and I think we were, just, just to clarify what we, Robin's saying, we're not, just because we don't know why to certain aspects of suffering doesn't mean that there isn't an answer. Um, but God's concern seems to be more to get us to know the answerer than the answers, um, and, and to, to trust him. Uh, and there is that verse, Romans 8.28, God works for the good of all those who love him. Um, that's a promise, and it doesn't feel like that a lot of the time, but that's a promise, kind of one of these promises we'd have to, to hold on to in these difficult times. So there is a purpose, there is an ultimate good that is promised to us. Yeah, I was just going to add there as well. I think sometimes some of the suffering that we face in our lives through that experience, we can be a real help to other people. 
So sometimes God puts us through times of suffering so that we can really just help other people. So at the time you might think, what is the purpose in this? And then actually it's only looking back, you can see maybe what the purpose was. I don't know if that's helpful from a practical point of view as we maybe suffer, for example, the bereavement of a parent or something and it's inevitable and it happens. Um, But through that you can maybe talk about your own experiences and help other people again just sort of in the light of the goodness of God does that help wonderful great thank you very much thank you for that question um anyone else who wants to come in on that or has any other thoughts um okay um we're going to move on now to um um sort of Questions about certain types of suffering um, that, 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 that we would go through, that we all face. And um, Catherine, I wonder if I could give this one to you. Um, the, the question is this. Um, how can I best help my friend who's a Christian and suffering from depression and feels no hope? Um, I suppose that's quite a, a... Many people might be in that situation. Um, there might be people that we have in mind as, as someone's asking that. Um, what, would, what would you say to that? How do I best help my friend who's a Christian suffering from depression and has no help? Just a little question, Sam. Yeah, Thank sorry, you. Sorry. It's quite a big one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a huge question. Mm. I think depression is something that a number of us have struggled with, do struggle with, um, and there are no straightforward answers. I think for somebody who's really going through a tough time and really feels in the depths of despair, feel there's absolutely no hope, what's the best thing we can do? We can actually be there for them it's sort of not a rocket science answer but just be there now it might be that they want to talk in which case probably the best thing that we could do is really listen Um, sometimes we need to just we need to ask for guidance in what to say we don't want to say the wrong thing um, but the listening, I think, is a really, really important thing. It, it can sometimes be really tricky just when somebody feels so hopeless and in the depths of despair. As somebody who is um, a Christian and is suffering in this way, obviously there are bits in the Bible where comfort can come from, especially going to the Psalms. And just there is comfort there. Um, but again, when somebody's feeling really, really low, just being there with them and praying for them. Um, it might be, as I say, just I think the befriending, being there. Sometimes we don't understand actually what is going on. Um, there could be various reasons for the depression, lots of different reasons. It could be exhaustion, nervous exhaustion, for example, whereas sometimes all they need is rest. If we look at the example of Elijah, for example, in the Old Testament, God told him that he just had to go take time out and have some rest. Um, depression, it's, it is a really hard thing. Statistics tell us that one in four of us in our lives will suffer from that kind of um, suffering. And it is hard. Um, so again, it, it's being there. It's not offering 
a trite one-size-fits-all answers. Um, I think as it is a friend, I think there's a real importance within a church family of being real with one another. We're all looking at one another here and we think they've got it all sussed and sorted. None of us have. We're sort of, we're saved by God's grace. Um, We give thanks for that. We give thanks that we have an eternal hope. But we've all got our struggles. We've all got our battles. And in terms of depression, it's it's tough and it's being real. It's being open um, and just, yeah, accepting that, it's it's a trial. It's a struggle. I think if I can just add a bit to that, um, one of the things I'd love to see happen in the UK. This is nothing to do with the answer to the question, but for every for every pound that's given to cancer research in the UK, point zero zero one of a pence is given to mental health, and yet the devastation of mental health as a syndrome of illnesses is enormous on people's lives. And many of us in this room will understand that personally, either ourselves or with people. And depression and the spectrum of illnesses that people would class within that rob people of any sense of feeling and any sense of well-being. So life is utterly bleak and utterly black. And the worst thing you can say to somebody who has depression is it's not as bad as that. Or don't you feel this? The answer is they don't. And I always remember with a lady who had depression, she she sat there with me and I listened to her and I didn't say anything. And she said, thank you for not telling me that I don't feel what I feel. The way that it's important that we respond to someone who has depression, and I would always do this with them, is to draw a very clear distinction between what they know and what they feel. And Andy referred to this in his talking earlier. When I really, as a Christian, feel that I'm sort of soaring on wings like eagles, and I don't feel like that at all. Maybe I'm a glass-half-empty person, but I know that Jesus Christ is alive and that I will live. And I think there's a world of a difference between speaking to people about how they feel and speaking to people about how they know. But I also know there are Christians who do feel that. But someone who has depression feels nothing. But I would remind them of what is true. That Jesus Christ died for their sins. That he rose to give them life. And faith in him will not rob them of that objective fact that God loves them in Christ, even if they feel as far away from God as it is possible um, to be, because they're not. There's a really good book on depression up there. Um, but I'd always encourage you, if these are issues that you struggle with or know people who do, is to talk to people like Catherine is trained in helping people with these issues. And talk to me, talk to others. Um, and let it come to the surface. Don't hide it away. It's, it's everywhere. And give all your money to research. Or at least some of it. <laughs> that's incredible. And, and that is an enormous question. Thank you, Catherine. That's, um, that's a helpful reminder. Um, thank you for that. Um, okay, um, um, moving on. J- just to say, um, we're going 
We're going to strive to end about quarter past eight um, um, as a rough ballpark figure. Um, it might be that, that you have lots more questions that you want to stay behind and ask, and that's fine. So we're going to stay here until the last of you leaves the building, <laughs> um, you know, w- w- within reason. W- w- we'd love to we'd love to be able to chat to you. There might be things that you want to ask privately, and that's fine. If you feel at any point from maybe now on you might need to go, that's also okay. But w- w- we'll get through the bulk of these questions by quarter past eight, and we can call it there. And if you want to stay behind... That's that's okay. Is that all right? That's a good reminder, Robin, about the books. Um, we have three books tonight that, that y- you're welcome to take with you. Um, and uh, we're going to flip them up on the screen in a bit. Um, I think they're over there at the back. Um, one dealing with this issue, a book literally on this question, takes you through the question of suffering, and also one on depression, very, very importantly. Uh, the, the door, fantastic, just over there. And um, another one on Mark's Gospel. Brilliant. Very helpful. Um, that's great. Okay. Um, moving on. And does anyone have any questions so far on this? Does anyone? I'm going to ask my next few set of questions and then we'll draw it to a close and then we can, we can see where we are. Is that okay? Brilliant. Um, the next set is on, on sort of God's, God's sovereignty, um, in, in, in suffering. And, and three questions that I'm going to lump together, um, is one, if God created everything, then doesn't that mean he created suffering? Um, and, and, and mixed with that, um, and is it fair to say that God is omnipotent and all-powerful if, if we believe in the devil, who is a force of um, such degenerative illness? Does that not remove his omnipotence because he's working against God? Um, questions of evil and... Well, let, let me just do the second one. Great. Um, only because we, we preached recently through the book of Job, and again, yeah. that's a question that is brought up in the book of Job. And know that we do not believe as Christians that God and the devil are equal entities at war with each other. That's, what, that's called dualism. And we don't believe that's the case. Uh, the devil is, as Martin Luther said, God's devil. He is on a leash, and he can only do what God permits him to do. They are not equals. Uh, the devil's a fallen angel. He'd be kind of negative equal to one of the archangels, but not to God himself. So God is supreme, and he reigns over it. So it's not a threat to his omnipotence because what the devil can do is only what God allows him to do. That's difficult. I understand that's complex and because he is behind evil and suffering. Um, and it's a, it's a difficult thing to, to see and to grasp. Um, but he is, a, a, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, a defeated foe, a fallen enemy, because his greatest weapon against humanity was death. And Jesus' death on the cross um, flipped that round um, and now made it his triumph for us as Christians. Um, so there's not a kind of war between these two equal opposing factions. God's in control, and he always has been. That's, that's difficult, but that's, the, that's what the Bible yeah. teaches. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. Robin, anything to add? Um, the first question, I, I guess, was did God create suffering? Yeah. God created a perfect world, and humanity rebelled against God's perfect creation. And as a consequence of that, the world is as it is. So God didn't create suffering. We rebelled against God, and the consequence of that is the world in which we live. The thing I'd want to say in answer to that is pick up what Andy said in the end of his talk, that God will create or recreate a world where there is none. So he will end the suffering in this world. Now, whenever I hear that, and Andy did in the talk, you think, well, that's kind of too good to be true. Again, the evidence for that comes back to the fact that God, and I, 
Sam, I'm sure, will get on to this, and we would all want to encourage you that these are brilliant questions tonight, but to turn, to, to get to a point where you begin to look at the heart of the evidence for Jesus, his resurrection. Such a powerful thing. Such a powerful thing. And his resurrection is the proof that God will resurrect the earth where there will be no more suffering. I mean, God's heart is more broken than yours and mine as he looks at this world and he redeems this world and will make it new um, again. That, that's, that's great, thanks. Um, anyone want to come in on that? Um, I know these are, bit, these are big questions. No? Okay. Um, and, and, and another one, sort of from, um, I, I think, a, a Christian perspective, I'm sort of looking at, at suffering. Um, um, I know the three truths that, um, Andy, you were talking about in, in, in your talk, but I just find it really hard to believe them. I, I know them, but I, I just really struggle to believe them. Um, how, how do I trust in God when I'm struggling in, in, in that way? I, I know them, but I find it hard to believe them. How do I trust in God? Well, I think part of the answer to that is it's hard. I think your experience of whoever asked that question of how hard it is is real and true. I don't think any of us sitting up here or any Christians here would say it was easy to trust. How do you trust in God? Supernaturally. Christ lives in us by his spirit and gives us the conviction and the capacity to go through life without losing your faith. Let me point you as well to people who are further on in life's journey than you like the lady whose funeral is tomorrow. The closer she got to the end, the stronger and more resolute and clear her confidence and trust in it. And that has to be something that isn't of human construction. It has to be. Because surely as you walk through that darkest of valleys, it would rob you of that conviction. So I'd want to say to you that there are many hundreds of thousands of people who believe what you believe, who understand what it is to suffer as you do, and who have endured. But what will enable you to endure is not your seal, it's the Holy Spirit, it's God himself um, within you. One of the, the most powerful passages in the New Testament that speaks about this, it talks about the security we have in God in difficult times as being beyond human understanding. It, it guards your hearts and your minds. It's not explicable. I mean, it isn't explicable that somebody could face up to death with a steadiness and a strength. It's not explicable humanly. Yeah. Thanks, Robin. Anyone wants to add to that? No? The only thing I would say is you can only trust what you know. So you've got to know God if you want to trust him. Yeah. And the way you do that is through the Bible. That's his way of speaking to us. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's helpful. Um, um, I'll ask you a few questions on, on sort of, um, again, suffering itself, and, and then I'll ask um, one final question. Um, uh, there's lots of these kind of questions, and I'm lumping them all together purely for sake of time. So again, if you feel that's not been answered, please feel to come, come back up to us at the end, and, and we can have a look at it. And we'll have one more chance of, of, of going around you guys in response to this. Why is it that... <clears throat> 
it's almost like we, we understand suffering. Okay, we've, we've got that there is and the reasons why and, and what God is doing. But, but why does it seem to be so unfair? Why is it so imbalanced? So what, why do we have people who suffer incredibly with mental health? Why, why do we, so these, I'm literally just reading them off as they come up on the screen. Why do we have um, long-term sufferers, people who are crippled from birth? Why do we have um, people who are um, um, lying in comas for the whole of their lives? Why do we have people that um, are in uh, foreign countries who have no water, no food, and are incredibly disadvantaged, above and beyond we we will ever experience? How, 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 that's about 10, 10 questions there on all of that, and that might be some of yours, and I want to pose that as a... That's a big question. There's an overarching thing. The reason there is suffering in the world is because there's evil and sin. And that comes from humanity's rebellion against God, ultimately. Um, now, the distribution of, of those things, why God allows certain people to go through harder times than others, that's the question you can't answer why. I, you just, I don't know. Yeah. I would agree. and think the answer is we don't know, mm-hmm. and I don't think we should try to. However, again, when you know, you sort of, even if you take Haiti and the 900 folks killed and so on, I mean, I think um, these things do happen. I think through the suffering, we can see the goodness. It's amazing how people can get behind appeals and all sorts and all sorts and try and offer hope. Um, as Christians, can we offer that greater hope um, than the world offers? Yeah. Um, but it is—it's it, a really hard thing, you know. Why can some people not have children? Why, you know, are yeah. some children born with difficulties yeah. and, and all sorts? We don't know. Um, again, if we look at think of somebody like Johnny Eckerson Tada, some of you probably know about her, who was paralysed, a magnificent diver, had a diving accident, lives her life in a wheelchair. She now finds that God's role for her life is going round and telling people about Jesus and about um, what he's done for her. So through that tragedy and through her suffering, her life took a completely different direction. Um, And sometimes, yeah, sometimes through suffering, God can take all of us in a different direction. It's not what we've got planned. And we don't know, again, from what Andy's taught was saying God is eternal he has got the big picture he knows the end from the beginning we don't and in the midst of suffering that can be really hard but it's holding on to that and having confidence in a God who loves us and does care for us yeah and and, and just because we, we might not we can't answer the why to these questions yeah, because yeah. we're not God yeah yeah okay so we don't know but what we can say is that those who follow Christ the promise is that it's never pointless what the point is, we don't know, but the promise is that it's never pointless and that God is working and using all things in the life of those who follow Jesus for an ultimate good that we cannot see, that, like Job, we might never see in this lifetime. Um, and it's Paul's thing, all of it's been used to build up a weight of glory and joy for all eternity. Um, that may seem distant and far off, but that's the promises. So we don't know why. But if you follow Christ, it's never pointless. And that you and I go home tonight, and all that we are is a random collection of cells. And if your cells happen to hit and click in a certain way tonight, and you die, or I die, well, who cares? And the great answer is that God does. How do you know? 
because he sent his son who suffered and died and lives. And I think it's a great question to have as we come towards the end because it gets right to the heart of reality, right to the heart of things. Yeah, that, that's great. I, I'm going to ask one last question now because I realize it's quarter past eight, but I'll, I'll let you guys respond to this if you want to stay behind. Um, this is from two, two people who, who, have, who have texted. Um, what, what, and it's a great question, I suppose. It is a good, good one to finish on. Um, as Christians, we're, we're told um, that uh, we're meant to um, be bringing justice to the world. Is our lack of action in the world a cause of suffering? And, and should we, in response to this, be doing more in the world? And, and secondly, ultimately, what does the end of suffering look like? And, and, and how and how is that achieved? And, and, and when, 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 when is that seen? Firstly, um, yes, we should care for others, especially the poor always but we must never do so thinking we are going to restore the earth we cannot create heaven on earth christ will do that Um, and that's why our primary aim as christians is always the proclamation of the gospel because what people need more than anything else is not um to be removed from their pain what they need even more than that is to be saved for all eternity and be in that world where there is no pain and no tears and no hurt so yes we got i mean you just got to love people and care for them We've got to do that with everyone. Love our neighbor. That's the whole point of Jesus' parable. He picks the most extreme, unlikely person and says, that's the person you're meant to love. Um, the, the, the Good Samaritan parable. Um, so, yeah, we've got to do that. But we mustn't think that we can bring heaven on earth. That's a mistake. The, the biggest need, the greatest need, despite the suffering, is forgiveness of sins. Um, that's the greatest need because that has eternal ramifications. Um, what does that look like? It's hard. It's, I mean, it's hard to describe because we live in such a broken world, but it's like this world without the brokenness, with that complete restoration between humanity and God, where, like Jesus, like I quoted from Revelation, there is no tear, where death is no more. Um, every tear has been wiped away, sorry. Death is no more. There is no evil, and there's nothing wrong and broken. Um, in us, mm-hmm. physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, it's all healed mm-hmm. and it's restored. Now, how I can't get that concept fully in my head. Can I read um, that out, sir? Mm, please do. Is this what Andy quoted? Yeah, please do. Um, this is the new creation. Um, now, just suspend your disbelief that this might be too good to be true. Just imagine if it were. This is the world where there is no suffering. I saw a new heavens and a new earth. That just means a new creation. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's Jesus' return. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now think of our city. Think of the hospitals, the graveyards. Behind every door, all the stuff that's going on. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And when am I going to read that? I'm going to read that tomorrow at the funeral. And it's either just made up to kind of paint a picture over the reality, or it's true. 
I'll read that at the funeral, and I'll tell people it's true because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he lives. And I will say to them, as I encourage you to do, take away all the books tonight, but the one you really want is Mark's Gospel, because it tells you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that's what I want to know when I'm in a coffin or at a funeral. That's what you want to... And it's not a kind of, it's not me manipulating this round in the discussion to death. It's just us all facing up to the reality of what will happen to us all. And you can have confidence in life and for eternity. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And of course, suffering brings you as a Christian to, to wonderful, wonderful answer. That's great. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, guys, so much. Um, because I have said it, I'm going to do that. Does anyone have anything to say on the back of that that you really want to, to tell the panel or something to come back on? And we will give time to it. Are the books free? That's a great question. Um, yes, I think they are. Yes. Well done, Katrina. Thank you very much. Yes, they are. Yes, they're over here. Please do grab one or three on the way out. Yeah, I, I was going to say what Robin just said. Mark's gospel is, um, the others will be incredibly helpful, but Mark's gospel will be the most helpful because it will tell you everything there is to know about Jesus Christ. And, and also, I want to invite you, if you don't quite know how to read Mark's gospel, please come up to one of us at the end and, 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 and one of us will be able to read it with you um, or, or we can find someone with whom you can read it with. Um, and, and we'd love to do that. If that's something you want to do, um, feel free to come back over a course of a few weeks and, and ask us about that. Take it home, see what you think. We'd love to be able to do that. That would be a really good thing um, for you to be able to do if you think that's right. But please feel free to just grab them um, as, as you do on the way out. Guys, thank you very much. Panel, thank you very much. Andy, thank you very much. Um, I hope that's been helpful. Please feel free to stay and mill around afterwards if you want to. Um, these guys, I'm sure, will be okay for five or ten minutes to ask you questions. Sorry if your question wasn't asked exactly as, as you phrased it. There were so many that came in, I tried to bunch some together. So, again, feel free to come up to me at the end as well if you want to chat. But uh, may I say thank you. Hope you had a good evening and um, enjoy the rest of it. And it's been great to see you. Thank you so very much. <laughs>